morning, Las Vegas. This is the Towel Boys. He's Mike Kramala of the Las Vegas Sun. I'm Tyler Bischoff. We get a schedule to complain about. Isn't that exciting? Schedule day is a big day for all sports. Late June, we get a schedule and everybody gets to complain about it. And um, I think with the UNO Elite Lake, they break it up into two parts. You get the conference schedule first and... You can complain about that, even though it's like set. Yeah, there's really nothing to complain about. I, I hate conference schedule day because it's like, ooh, Utah State doesn't come to the toss yeah. and back. Ooh, it's a, this, their bye week you is can find the ti- yeah, You get the tiniest little cracks and you can complain yeah. about that. And then non-conference comes up. But it's like an appetizer. It's like gets you in that complaint because, you know, the fans get rusty and the media gets rusty. So that gives us a little something to complain about to sort of get us back in shape. And then oh, okay. when the non-conference so like, schedule comes out, then we can, you know, you're back in complaining mode. Okay. And, yeah, so so like, that's like a preseason for complaining is yes. what that is. Okay. Good, good, good. Um, so have all right, I just I'm just gonna read through the non-conference schedule. Um, all of these are at home except for like two. Uh, Loyola Marymount, UC Riverside, Oakland, Pacific, Southern Utah, Valparaiso, Cincinnati. At Illinois, BYU, which is in T-Mobile, and then the Diamond Head Classic, which is uh, they would play three of TCU, Indiana State, Colorado, Hawaii, Rhode Island, Charlotte, and Bucknell. So those they open with an exhibition game against Montana State Billings. I had somebody, and I can't remember who it was. Somebody, I tweeted out, hey, they're playing an exhibition against Montana State Billings. And somebody was genuinely excited. I think he said there's dad played for him, and I was like, this is the only excitement anybody <laughs> has shown about this schedule is that they're playing Montana State Billings. Well, so like, they get that game against Montana State Billings, and then it's Loyola Marymount, UC Riverside, Oakland, Pacific, Southern Utah. So the exhibition, then those first five games, I feel like those six games you could throw them in a hat and pick one out, and like none of them would be out of place as the exhibition game. Like, like that's in terms of an excitement level, and also in terms of like. Some of those teams may be more competitive than others, but no one that you and we should be like They'll excited one about. No one that you should be excited about playing. You think they're going to lose one of their first five games? Wait, what, does Valpo include the first five? That's first. Six. That's games number six. They're losing one of their first six. You think they're going to lose to Valparaiso? One of those six, they're losing. I get them six and zero. Oh. Nah, they're losing one of those. Six. I get them same as last year, six and zero, oh, killing everybody. Are we going to do our Mountain West prediction same as last year too? Yep. <laughs> they're gonna suck. Uh, yeah, they're gonna suck me right back. They're gonna win those six games by a combined 110 points, and then they're gonna play Cincinnati. And if they smash Cincinnati like they smashed Utah last year, same thing. Like everybody's gonna be excited, and they pass the first real test, and everything's gonna look good. And uh, but we'll still know zero about the team because they haven't played anyone. That that's part of it that I don't like the fact that. They're going to play six games. We're going to get to December, and we're, we're going to know nothing about how good this team, unless they lose a bunch of those games, and we'll be like, all right, they're bad. Um, but like, we're not going to know how good this team is. We're not even going to know if they can make it to a bus on time because they're not leaving <laughs> Thomas and Mack Center. Like they're, it's like they're starting with six home games. They don't. They play one road game in the entire non-conference schedule. So like, which is when, just the basics of waking up and packing a bag and getting on a bus. We're not even going to know if they can do that. If like Marvin Menzies, his his quote in the press release was like talking about getting ready to play the Mountain West schedule, and it's it's coach speak, and it's a press release put out by UNLV. So I don't know if we should pay that much attention to it, but it's like 
How does one road game at Illinois get you anything close to prepared for having to play nine conference games on the road in the Mountain West when you got to go places like Logan, Utah, and Laramie, Wyoming? Like, I just, I don't know. Like, last year, they went to Pacific, and the whole purpose of that was, hey, let's play a road game at Pacific, like somewhere random, and they don't even have that on the schedule this year. So it's like, if we're talking about getting ready for Mountain West play, I don't, I don't get how one road game does that. I think that it's... What do you think is a bigger deal, the level of competition or the the home road balance there? The because they've got room to add one more game on this non conference yeah, schedule. Are they Would, going to? It's, no. Okay. No. Right. I'm, I'm, no. I'm not. I'm not saying that they've got they're, they're going to add one. I'm saying they could have if they wanted to. Okay. They've got twelve. Okay. What they got? Twelve games scheduled. Well, they have twelve scheduled in the past like five six years. They've played thirteen. Yeah. Games. So and I know there's weird rules with non exempt tournaments, but like I, I think they could have scheduled a thirteenth game if they wanted to. So would you rather have them have played a true road game at some you know two fifty plus Ken Palm school like Pacific, or would you um, rather have had like a home game against a like a somewhat legitimate opponent like a Pac twelve team? Oh, absolutely, the home game against a Pac twelve team. Yeah, those are my two options. But if my options are home game against Oakland or road game against Pacific, or whoever it would have been, Portland, I would have taken the road game against Portland. Just one of them to throw in there. Just, hey, we're going on the road to do something. Um, should we have the discussion as far as, like, this is not an NCAA tournament schedule, or does that not even matter? I don't think that's much of a discussion. It's- I mean, it's it, at the very least, it's Marvin Menzies telling you, I don't think this team can go to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't think that they're capable of making it. And, I mean, the schedule is takes it completely off the table. It's like you've got to win the Mountain West tournament and without that there's like there is no chance to impress so, the NCAA at large selection committee with, you know, the schedule. So that like maybe a way of taking that pressure off or just uh short circuiting that conversation before the year begins. Um I'm not sure. But so when does he do that? Like when when do we get a schedule in June and think, oh hey, they might be able to impress and get in at large. Like, when does he schedule to get an NCAA tournament at large bid? Remember a couple of weeks ago when the Cincinnati game was announced, or the home and home series, when that news broke, and uh, it was Cincinnati at home this year, and then at Cincinnati next year, and we brought up the point that this it seems like even before we knew the entire schedule for this season, that may be a situation where they wanted to lock in Cincinnati on the road next year. So they'll play a home-and-home and and start it this year at home because they want that road game next year, which leads me to believe that they've got that game in place. You can build a schedule around that. Next year may be the year that they're targeting because— It has to be. We've got one year that—we've got one game on the schedule that we know for next year, and that's at Cincinnati, and that's a pretty good game. Um, So you fill in around that. You get, you know, four or five more games like that, and you can—that's a non-conference schedule that you can build a tournament resume— around whereas this one you can't so next year i would say um is the year i mean this is year three and they haven't gone for it yet next so year has mean, to you have to year. that's a full like recruiting cycle that's you'll have all of your players in here you'll have a bunch of uh you'll be talented enough to do it you've you've got to jump in the pool at some point it's i don't want to say next season is ultimatum for menzies of ncaa tournament or like you're fired but the next season for marvin menzies year four of marvin menzies like there's got to be a push for it. Like, they've got to be at least close. Like, there, there's got to be a, yeah, we can make the NCAA tournament. Okay, we're on the bubble. Like, it might not be, hey, you have to make it or you're fired, but it, it's going to have to be, okay, we're actually going for it now because you can't 
you can't sell anybody on, yeah, we're in year four and we're still building the foundation. Like that just, that, that's not good enough anywhere, regardless of what you took over. Yeah. And it's just the fact that you can't end your, you can't for all intents and purposes end the season when the, the day of the schedule is released. Like the day this schedule came out, you and we fans look at the schedule and they say, we're playing 32 games this year and then we're done. Like there's no chance for postseason. There's no chance for NCAAs. Like, I mean, it's a development year. That's what it is. And it's a lot to you can't do that again next year. And the when the schedule comes out, you've got to have you've got to at least give people hope that you're competing for something greater than um the NIT. The 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 regular season games that are on your schedule. There's gotta be something beyond that that you're competing for. The NIT. I don't think anyone's gonna get excited about the NIT. <laughs> I, I know be. I won't. I would be. I'd be pumped. If they're in the NIT this year, I'll be excited. The only people who care about those other postseason tournaments are gamblers because it gives them a handful of extra games that they can gamble on. But other than that, no the, one cares. They play at the same time as the freaking NCAA tournament. Like it's, Exa- it's so that's, like two that days before. That shows you how little anyone cares about who who won the NIT. Who was the final four of the NIT this year? I don't know. Ole Miss went one year. It was great. That's the eye roll emoji all day long is for it? me. NIT. I'd CBI, no. Now nah, CBI is a lower level because people actually like UNLV think they're too good for the CBI, but like UNLV is not too good for the NIT. They'd play in it. The bigger, I think, the biggest overall issue though with the schedule, and people, and I, I tend to be the leader of this, but people complain too much on Twitter. It's like my brand though, so I can't really hate people for it. But people complain too much on Twitter, and like this schedule comes out, and it's just. Complaints, 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 except for the one guy excited about Montana State Billings. But I think the biggest issue with it is when we look at what UNLV's attendance is going to be next year. Because nobody that saw this schedule in June is excited about it. And that's the, the people that aren't excited about it in June are the ones you need to come out and watch your team play. And like, who's coming to watch Oakland play? Like, who's coming to watch UNLV take on Southern Utah? Like, and that's that's almost all of your schedule. And you look at what home games do they get this year? If you're a season ticket holder, you get Cincinnati at home. That's good. But the BYU game is at T-Mobile Arena, right? Their next best game is Illinois. That's on the road. Then it's the Diamond Head Classic. That's in Hawaii. Like you get Cincinnati and a bunch of crap. And then the Mountain West, which yeah, you'll get Nevada and San Diego State coming here and New Mexico coming here. But it's like if I'm a season ticket holder, if I'm considering buying tickets, like there's. That you didn't do much for me here. Like, there's not much for me to to be excited about watching this team play. No, I I've had this theory for a few years since Menzies was hired. Basically, that he's his like his number one or one of his top priorities is to hide the team. S- stop the hype machine. Like, he does not want any hype for the team at all. Like, he saw what happened to Dave Rice when Dave Rice would come into every year and say, you know, we're going to the tournament. We got a great team. We got all these five stars. Come watch our you know, dunk contest, come watch all these great teams that we scheduled. Um, and then they would underperform every year. And he saw how Dave Wright got killed for that and eventually got fired for that. And so Menzies, his, one of his top priorities is we do not want people frothing at the mouth during the offseason thinking that we're going to be great when we're not. They should go play a top five team first game of the year, lose by 25, all of it dead. Hype machine dead. <laughs> I I mean, this may be just another, like they, they don't want people to get the wrong idea that like, hey, we think we're going to win 25 games and go to the NCAA tournament like that's here's the like here's a schedule like wink nudge this is what we think our team is capable of this year we think it's capable of UC Riverside Oakland and Pacific is our murderer's row during non-conference play but if you're Desiree Reed Francois that that can't be good enough 
Like, because what what that essentially is is like, we're going to trick our fans. Well, I mean, she it wasn't like the schedule was a surprise to her yeah, when I know, it was but released. Like, like, she's working on it. So, I like, mean, if that's and the she, mindset. she has a lot of input, and she has. Did she, she schedule the Cincinnati game? I feel like she's she is the one that is majority in responsibility for I, that. I think that if. Uh, if she wanted to put her foot down and say, like, we need to schedule some teams that people want to see, uh, that people want to pay to see, then that could have happened. But I, it's, so I've just got to assume that she's on board with this schedule. And, like, I, I, next year has got to be the year. Like, you've already got that Cincinnati game locked in. You've got to – next year has to be the year. You can't keep going on like this and, you know, selling. You can sell development because I think you have at least shown enough signs to the fans to – when you there are fans who will buy into a rebuilding process in all sports, like they can get on board. Fans aren't dumb; they understand. Like we've got to rebuild and we've got to start slow and build from the ground up, and everything that goes with that, and developing younger players, and they're along for the ride. But at some point, it's got to like come to fruition, and you just can't sell that forever. The one thing that Minzy should get credit for is the schedule is slightly improved in the regard that they don't have the bottom feeders of college basketball on the schedule. There is, if you look at, if you go by Ken Palm of last year, the worst team on this schedule is UC Riverside, and they were 268. There is nobody outside 300. Uh, Southern Utah's next at 252. What was it, the SWAC or the, they, they, the Horizon League? They Who took was... on the entire yeah. SWAC last yeah, year. Yeah, and they're all like 330 yeah. plus, like the, which the whole is the conference. worst. Like yeah. the winner of the SWAC is like, jumps up to 304 in Ken Palm. Like, and they don't, they don't have that on the schedule, and that is a, a good thing. And that will, listen, the, the strength of schedule this year is going to be better than it was last year. And it's not because the top half is any good. It's because the bottom half is just not the worst college basketball team in the country. And that is, like, when we do the whole NCAA tournament resume talk and stuff, you cannot play those 350 games. Like, you can maybe play one of them. But you last year they had five teams outside the top 250, and I think it was three that were 325 or worse. Like, you cannot have those on the schedule when you're talking about, oh, we're going to the NCAA tournament, we got to have an, an at-large resume. And... Not that this is a at-large resume schedule, but he did kick those games off. So that to me is that to me is the biggest positive from the schedule is that hey, he finally got rid of the SWAC schools, and hopefully that continues in the future. And to be fair, things do get interesting a little bit in the second half of that schedule of the non-conference schedule leading into Mountain West play, like Cincinnati, Illinois, BYU, Diamond Head Classic. That's like a pretty good six games. Like that's that's fine. Like, but you need. A full schedule of that. Yes. You need you need like one Pacific or one Southern Utah on your schedule, not six of them. Like that's the issue. No, you can't start with six in a row. That's yeah. sort of that you're throwing any chances you have away of uh it's you can't do that. And if we're doing if it was like, hey, this needs to be an NCAA tournament resume, Illinois is bottom half of the Big Ten. BYU is not gonna be an NCAA tournament team. Like you've got to change BYU to Gonzaga, you've got to change Illinois into a top five team in the Big Ten. Like those, those games have to get better too. But you'll take those at least for now because that's about as good as it gets. Um, you think they're going six and zero to start? What are they doing against Cincy, Illinois, BYU? You know, you probably hope for a few. You know, if you're a fan, you hope for a two for two and one, and you probably expect one and two, or if you can get a win in those. Three games. I mean, the first five guaranteed they're going to be favorites. Valpo at home, probably a favorite. Probably. Not a heavy favorite, but UNLV was pretty good at home in non-conference last year. Um, 
So I'll, I would give them that one at this point. Cincinnati probably comes in here and beats you. At Illinois, two teams I could see being evenly matched. UNLV has not been good on the road for years. Probably edge to Illinois, but I wouldn't be shocked if UNLV was in that game and had a chance to win it. So, um, And then BYU at home, probably a, a toss-up or somewhere. Will ne- there be, neither, neither team favorite by more than you know two points. or Will there be half. more BYU fans or UNLV fans at T-Mobile? Because I kind of feel like it's going to be BYU. I can't even remember. How do UNLV fans like uh, – do they travel to the the T-Mobile Arena? Like it, it doesn't so feel like they have. So if you remember like last have... year's games when they did that little tournament, season ticket holders were given free tickets, but they were in the upper bowl. And so if you were just looking at the lower bowl of those games, there were seven people at those games last year. Um, this year, I I don't know this for sure. I just saw somebody complaining on Twitter that season ticket holders have to pay extra for the BYU game. I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, but if that's the case. Unless UNLV's won all, beaten Cincinnati and Illinois leading into it, I don't think there's going to be a huge UNLV turnout for that game. If UNLV puts out this schedule and then charges the season ticket holders for the, the BYU <laughs> the game at good T-Mobile, game. is that a bad look for UNLV or a horrible look for UNLV? Like here, a here's a look. garbage schedule with absolutely no team that you can get excited about on your season ticket package. But if you pay us extra... Here's one decent game that you might be interested in seeing. Like that is that the worst look? You got to get you got to get as much money as you can though. You got to get more and more money from that one. That I hopefully that's I'll I'll look into that. That's okay. that, that's I I should have already looked into that. But I will check into that if that BYU game is included in the season ticket package. It has to be. That's such a that would be a total ripoff for the yeah, fans if yeah. you made them pay for that game in addition. Uh the Diamond Head Classic. So just to quickly look at those. TCU's the the crown jewel of that tournament. If you get TCU, it's it's a great well, their resume doesn't really matter. I guess I'm still looking at this as from an NCAA tournament resume. But if you're trying to play the best teams, TCU is the best one there by far. Rhode Island's second best. And then Indiana State, Colorado, Bucknell are okay. Hawaii is all right. Charlotte is bad. Like Charlotte's the one you want to avoid. Like Charlotte could give you a three hundred plus team on your schedule. So and Charlotte replaced, or no, Bucknell replaced St. Mary's. St. Mary's was supposed to be in this tournament, but they pulled out for some reason. So there, there's the potential. Like if UNLV got everything they wanted in that tournament, like you could get TCU, Rhode Island, and and Colorado, and all of a sudden you've got three more good games on the schedule. And now the the month of December is, oh Jesus, you just played Cincinnati, Illinois, BYU, TCU, uh, Rhode Island, and Colorado. And we'd be looking back like, oh, hell, that was a great schedule. Suppose the, uh, the unthinkable happens in UNLV – gets those teams and they rip off, you know, five wins. They win five out of those six games heading into Mountain West play. Are you then just kicking yourself that you didn't schedule like a real team in the first six games? Like that do you have some regret that like, hey, we we're better than we thought we would be. We can compete with these kind of teams, but we have no chance at the NCAAs because we punted the first, you know, month and a half of our yeah. non conference schedule. Possibly. I mean, yeah, if they if they win if they're, you know, sitting with one loss at the end of conference play and like they won the Diamond Head Classic or whatever, and the one loss is like on the road at Illinois or something like that, like yeah, I, I think you would be. You'd be looking back saying, Oh, we're eleven and one, but the NCAA tournament's not gonna care because we're eleven and one and we beat like two good teams to get to eleven and one. So yeah, I, I think it's possible there's regret. I don't this team's not gonna be that good though. Like I, I'm not too worried about that actually happening though. Like I don't think they're going to be good enough to rip off eleven and one and and actually be you know a top three Mountain West team with a legitimate at large case at the end. 
I mean, they weren't supposed to be great last year either, and they were like, li- like literally two, like, two bounces of the ball away from being like an eleven and one team with you know beating Arizona, beating Northern Iowa, both games that went to overtime that they had chances to win at the in the on the final possession. And if they win those two games, I mean, what are they eight and zero at that point after the Arizona game, or seven and zero, or nine and zero, something like that? So I mean, they were close to making a run like that last year through their non conference schedule. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's a it's a long shot, but it wouldn't. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, is what I'm saying. Yeah, it is. It is. It's out of the realm. Um, all right, we done complaining about the schedule. Yeah. Is there anything nice that you want to say about the schedule? I did the the no three hundred plus teams. That was my nice thing. I'm. I we did it last when when it was announced. I'm super pumped about the Cincinnati game. Like that's just terrific that they got Mick Cronin to come out here. What two years after that whole debacle? So, yeah. Here's my idea to improve the the schedule. You take the all you can eat package from football, <laughs> or the eat all you can package from football, I should say, and um, you bring a different um, restaurant to. Like each game, like for one of these home, like against Loyola Marymount, it's Chick Fil A is like your, is doing like the the concessions, yeah. and then for the next game, it's you know Raisin Canes or whatever, and you just go through things that people might want to eat a lot of, and you hope that you get some people in the seats that way. It's a good one, I like that. That's Des- the that's the best I can do. Do you think Desiree Reed Francois listens to the twenty first twenty one first minutes of this podcast? I'm gonna say no on that one. All right, maybe somebody will, that does listen will get it to her. Hopefully they've got better things to do. Now, you just put this on while you're running. That's all. She likes to run. Okay, done with the schedule. What's next? You wrote about Jonathan Chamwa Chachua. He's I athletic, did. but he can't shoot or dribble. He can't. <laughs> to what level can he not shoot slash dribble? Um, to the level that you don't want to see him do either of them. Like The dribbling is kind of a big concern. Like Because you can... You don't need him to bring the ball up the floor, but like you gotta be able to dribble it once or twice without turning it over. If so, I did this story on Jonathan Shamwa Chachwa, and I'm watching uh, three of his games that I found online, full games from the NBA Global Academy in Australia, where he played last season. And um, first of all, I gotta if I didn't know, I would after watching those three games and sort of breaking it down and going over the um, his skill set and things like that, I would have guaranteed that he's redshirting this season. Except that when I talked to Preston Laird after Shamwa uh, signed, Laird said, you know, we expect him to contribute this year and he's going to be a defensive uh, force for us. So I, they're expecting him to play this season, which it's sort of a, a cognitive dis- dissonance for me because I watched him play and it, he does not, he seems <laughs> like a guy who needs a year to like develop his skills and get ready to play because I don't, I don't think there's a way that he can contribute to this team this year, but I, they're going to play. At this point, I guess the plan is to play him and see what happens. It just, And that, that was one of my big takeaways when I read this one, was I remember that Preston Laird quote of saying, we expect him to play right away, and it's just like, there's no way. I mean, he's it's going to be worse than Dembele on offense. I got a question, the NBA Global Academy. Also, what they're doing <laughs> over there, it's supposed to be a development program, a development, like a skills academy, and I watch these games – and he's not being developed at all on the court. Like they on offense, they're sticking him in the corner to spread the floor like he's some kind of like shooter or shooting threat. Except he's not he they he's not a shooter. Um like his jump shot is not the mechanics are not what you would see with a person shooting a jump shot. It's like a 
a weird thing of someone who probably like has not seen a lot of basketball how they would just throw the ball at the hoop. Um, so this is a place worse than UNLV to develop for the NBA. <laughs> UNLV is miles <laughs> ahead of development of the NBA Global Academy. Uh, at from what I've seen, they stick him in the short corner in the corner just to get him out of the play. Like, how are you developing someone when you tell him, like, hey, you're a big man, but just go stand in the corner and don't do anything on offense? Like, his his only contribution on offense was basically he would stand in the corner, and when a shot went up, he would attack the glass from the corner, which gave him a good angle to um, read the ball and sort of beat his man and get offensive rebounds, and he did that very well. One of the things that stuck out, you said he didn't know how to screen. Yeah, they they, they don't use him in screening situations. Like, he get, get a, lot of, a lot of offensive fouls trying to screen a lot of times that – He's just—he's not sort of sure what he's supposed to be doing in the play, and he would try to set like random screens Which, away from the ball. That's probably the maybe the easiest thing for Marvin Menzies to quote unquote develop out of him is to teach him how to set a screen and where to do it. But like, how is how how are you at a development camp for basketball as a big man and and not screen? Yeah. Like, how is that not a thing? That's like. I don't know, but he's he's not like setting himself like solidly. It's like guys are edging around him and just going by him easily. It's and then there were only I think like three or four times when you know they there are just a million plays that teams run where it's like the big man comes up, catches the ball at the top of the key, pivots, um, and they throw it to a guard that's coming off like a down screen or something. It's just some way to initiate your offense, and then the big man goes and sets the screen and then goes into the offense. He did that like three or four times, and two of the times when he threw that initiation pass, he just threw it to the other team for breakaway dunks. <laughs> like so, he's not like re- he doesn't like understand like spatial like oh the defender's there, I don't have enough room to get this pass in. Like he just does like by rote. They teach him catch the ball, turn and throw it to this guy, and he just does it sort of without assessing like the most basic aspects of how close is the defender and can I throw? Is this a pass that I can or should throw? So it's like even stuff like that is going to be a challenge for him to learn. So from that aspect, it's like I don't think you can play him this year very much in games in in situations that matter, um, unless he's come a long way since then. And who knows, Menzies may develop him. He may be a quick learner, and he can pick that stuff up in the the a couple months of training camp. But for now, I don't, I'm not sure. So big picture or long term with him, and the the positive aspect of him is athleticism is wingspan is hey this guy could be a dominant defender that you basically built your defensive strategy around like how like how attainable is that sort of high level of a role defensively for him by year three or four that's the 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 dream that you can the coaches i'm assuming are are dreaming about is three years from now if you have jiang at center as a senior and shamwa chachua at power forward as a junior um, and if no they, one's going to score, on and you. if they both reach their potential, that's an amazing four-five combo that protects the rim and rebounds, and they both block shots and they both run the floor, and you can see it. Like you can see the outline of why the coaches want them and how they can develop them and what they could be if they reach their absolute pinnacle. It's just going to take some time. Like that's there's so much development involved, and there's so much time between now and then that I hope you've got a a plan A. While you're developed, like Shamwa's Chachwa has got to be developed on the back burner, while you're doing something else there. Like you can't stick him in there now and expect him to be a like a defensive terror because I just don't think he's got the awareness yet to understand how like how to do that. Um, so you've got to have a plan A. If he plays this year, he is going to lead the Mountain West in fouls per forty. Minutes. Yes, 
He's gonna he's fouls a lot. He fouled out of one of the games I saw. The other one he had four or five fouls. I don't know how many. He was down to like his last foul because I heard the announcers like uh mentioning it. So it's like, yeah, he's little like little things like that are not his strength right now. His strength is putting his chin above the rim, touching the top of the backboard, blocking shots, running the floor faster than other big men, um, sprinting back and forth, like baseline to baseline to baseline to baseline three or four times in a row. Like other big, like you haven't seen other big men do stuff like this. Um, that's his just being an He's a, already better than Brandon McCoy. He's an athletic secretariat. This is what he is right now. <laughs> um yeah, McCoy, when, remember when McCoy, this time last year, we were saying, like, he's got to get into great shape. Like, we don't know if he can run at a college level. That's not an issue for Shamwa Chachwa. That's the last thing you have to be concerned about. So that's the the upside is that he's just athletically off the charts. He's probably one of the one or two or three most athletic players in the conference right now, like the second he enrolls in school. So it's like that's the upside. Oh, fun fact. Um, in Baki Jiang last year, Average more fouls per forty minutes than Dwayne Morgan ever did in his career at UNLV. That's so impressive. This this it was like eight and a half, and Dwayne Morgan's highest was like seven point nine or something. This this dream of Jiang and Chamwa Chachua patrolling the paint for UNLV is gonna be. They better have guys ready to come off the bench because they are gonna foul the hell out of people if those are your two starting front court guys. Maybe Menzies has inside information that the NCAA is going to six fouls and he can in really, the future he's ready to go. Yeah, and, and he's he'll... recruiting for it now. No, I mean, if anyone like we've said on the show, like if you, if there's someone that you have to give a raw big man to to develop, like Menzies is probably near the top of your list to do that. Like to teach someone the basic building blocks of being how a to screen. Big man, Menzies can do that. With Chama Chachua, because as I normally do, complained a lot about Marvin Menzies out here getting guys that have played basketball for two years of their life. But I don't have a big problem with like, hey, let's take a shot on this guy. He's super athletic. He could be something special for us. And and nobody else is nobody else has even heard of this kid, whatever. But I guess the bigger issue or the bigger question is it it feels like Marvin Menzies has now allocated three scholarships to that type of player. And like Mbaki Jiang, Shekna Dembele might be further along than this, but it just fe- like it feels like you can't allocate that much of your roster to this guy might be good for us in three years because he's tall and really athletic, but he can't dribble or shoot or screen. And it just, it just seems like they've got too much of that on the roster. Well, you combine those guys with the brothers, who the, who are the guys who are the brothers of <laughs> better prospects, your Anthony Smiths, your Jay Greens, your guys like that. Yeah, he was on up a lot of scholarships on people that you're not really counting on to contribute, you know. Uh-huh. So I I hear you. That's it is an issue. I, it's an, I don't know if it's an issue yet because they still um, this year, anyways. Like front court, Justin is going to be great. Um, Turvel Beck should be really good. You can get by this year and be pretty good in your front court. So I that's a, you at least have time maybe for those guys to develop. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Menzies. He's had success with these projects before. The project players, um, the Bullars, um, Pascal Siakam. Do we need to Pascal go? Pascal Siakam came up through the same pipeline of Cameroon basketball without borders that Chachua did, and Menzies got him for two. It only took him two years to turn him into a first round pick at New Mexico State. So, Chachua's got that kind of athleticism where if you can teach him the finer points of playing, he could be a, a really good player down the road. It's just it may take – I don't know if it'll take one year or if it'll take four years, but it's going to take – it's not right now. On the development of big men, I'm curious in New Mexico State, 
what are the failed developments? And I, I don't know the answer to this, but how many times did he bring in a, a seven-footer that didn't play a lot of basketball and that guy didn't develop in anything? Because, like, it, listen, if he brought in Bular and Pascal Siakam and he was two for two, great. But if he brought in ten guys and he hit on two of them, that's not very good. But, I mean, those players were so impactful for him that I still think that's a like a – Whatever the numbers were, that's a good hit rate to get two guys like that who right, are... Right, but now he's at UNLV, and he's been saying from the beginning, I can recruit better players at UNLV. Hitting, if you're going to take 10 shots at that over a 10-year span, you got to hit on more than two of them at UNLV when you can conceivably be getting guys that have been playing basketball their whole lives, and you don't have to develop... This is how you set a screen on day one. Well, it's not like he's only recruiting these guys. He recruited Brandon McCoy, who was a very finished product, who came in ready to dominate from you know day one. So it's like he's not only getting projects. If, he, right. if it was, and it's fine to take a shot on one of them, but like you've got three in three years. But McCoy was a finished product who was, or at least a guy who was ready to contribute right away. Shakur Houston is the most finished product that UNLV has had in years. Like a guy who came in and was just like ready. He's just a very smart. Uh, in tune basketball player. He so might I'm, score more points in his two years than Dembele, Jiang, and Chama Chachua do combined in their four years. He might. And uh, so it's like, it's not like that he's only getting pro- projects because he's also got those two guys who were instant contributors. So it's like, for now, he seems like he's got a good mix going. Um, and then you've got in between guys like Turvel Beck, who played as a freshman and is still developing and will be like a more of a, a player, more of a traditional college basketball, you know, career arc. So, yeah, I get. I know that f- there are a lot of fans who are frustrated with the international recruiting just because they don't know these guys. But um, I think there have been there's been enough traditional recruiting, and they've had Menzies has had enough success with American rivals ranked guys and international who are they guys that you've got to give them the benefit of the doubt for now. As long as it's not, oh, I forgot where I was going with that joke. What was right. the What was the premise of the joke? Do you want me to know. do my Say my last bit again. I read an email and totally forgot what my joke was going to be. As long as you're, he's 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 recruiting oh, these projects, but it. he's right. also got these guys. No, no, okay, I got go it. Ahead. I got it. As long as it's not Cole Anthony that he's trying to recruit. There's the joke. All right. Ah, ah, that's Greg Anthony's son. Yes. You gonna ask that every show? I don't. Whatever. <laughs> I got over that pretty quick. I don't know. That's at first I was kind of like. On that story, but now the more I think about it, it's kind of like a low blow by Greg Anthony. It is. It is. It, somewhat unintentional because he came back five hours later and was like, whoa, Marvin Menzies is great. Still funny, though. It's it's taking a shot at someone that you know can't defend themselves because of the, just the rules of college. Like, you know Menzies, like he tweet that out and you know Menzies is going to get heat for it because yeah. you've got that kind of power in Las Vegas based on your playing career here. And Menzies, because of NCAA rules, can't comment on like recruiting like that, so... Greg Anthony, come on. Come on, Greg Anthony. Come on. Be better to UNLV. Um, okay. Lynn Jessup. You talked to Lynn Jessup. I did. Former president Lynn Jessup. He's got a hard time kicking the we habit with UNLV, though. Well, he didn't. St- I did the interview last week, and he didn't start his new job at Claremont Graduate University until July 1st. But so he's he was also still not. UNLV. St- he's not the UNLV president right now. But he's still a fan. He said he's still a fan. Okay. He's always going to be a fan. Right. It's very sentimental moment for Len Jessup. All right, we'll always going to be you He can fan. still say we. It's okay. We're okay with that. He, as long as he's not covering UNLV That's sports right. as the, a beat or the weatherman at Fox Five, he All can good. say we and us 
and hooray, we won. He can he's allowed to do all that. Um, so he called the Power Five inevitable for UNLV. He said it's not necessary, but it's inevitable. Well, first he said it was inevitable if they stay on the current path that they're on. And then he came back later and I said, is it necessary? And he said, it's not necessary. Mountain West is pretty good, but it is inevitable. First, okay, let's let's hit the necessary part here. I mean, I guess it depends on what you expect UNLV to be, but it is totally necessary. Like, if you want to survive from a financial standpoint in college athletics, it is one hundred percent necessary. Like, we are we are driving towards a cliff where the power conferences split off from the rest of college athletics. Like, that is going to happen at some point. Like, if you saw the USA Today revenues and expenses released last week or something. You've got like 10 schools that are up over $200 million. UNLV's down here at like 42. Like there is, if you want UNLV to be remotely competitive in Division One college athletics, it is absolutely necessary. So what does UNLV have to do to get into the Pac-12 the next time when they become the Pac-14? Pac-14. I thought it was funny that Jessup was like, they're close or we're close. And then he was like, they just need to get better academically, athletically, and financially. And I was like, all right, they got to improve at everything. Um, it's weird because I feel like the only frame of reference as to what UNLV needs to do comes from Lynn Jessup and what he says about it because he's been the one driving this boat for a while. But it is academically, he's been pushing hard for them to become that tier one, research one, Carnegie University, which they're not. They're in tier two and they need to make that jump up. So uh, the medical school is supposed to be a big deal with that. Now the medical school's got a bunch of problems. I don't know if that hinders the research one part of their plan or not, but that's probably the biggest thing. They're recycling dental implants and putting them in other people's mouths. So that is probably, the mo- that might be the most important thing, more important than anything athletically. Athletically, you don't have to be like good at sports to get a, invite to a better conference like the big 10 went and got rutgers not you don't they were good. you don't have to be good in terms of wins and losses that most recent seat like you don't need to be like winning programs like that seat like if but you it, well it, that does matter it does matter some but it's like some people think if you if you go like 15 and 14 in basketball or something it's like oh you can't there's no way the power five is going to look at you because you're a 500 team but it's like it's about so much more than that it's about your, I feel like it's more about your potential to be, to have a Power Five type program. Like there are some teams, if you give Pacific a Power Five like budget, they are in no way like equipped to, like run a Power Five sports program. Like if you give UC, like just pick some random like bottom of the barrel yeah. like mid major school. If you give them a Power Five budget and Power Five access. They're not equipped with their facilities and things like that, and just to have a Power Five uh, sports athletic department, they're just not equipped to do that right now. I feel like UNLV is. Like if they were to join a Power Five, they wouldn't look out of place if they were, if a Power Five school came and toured, you know, the Mendenhall Center, um, you know, Thomas and Mack Center. If you the camp, like I feel like they've got that stuff down. The most important facilities is probably one of the biggest things going for UNLV. But the most important thing they need to do on the athletic side is the football team has to be good. Like the football team needs to show, hey, we're going into Raider Stadium. We've got Tony Sanchez. We've got this new football practice facility. It actually is going to translate to wins. That to me is the biggest thing. I don't think the football team needs to 
they've got to show that they have enough of a footprint and enough of a claim to this media market. And they because don't. They don't. No one and cares about it. they have to be good it. to do that. Yes. So that's like a necessary... Winning is a necessary step of the overall goal, which is having a share of your media market because that's what expansion is about. It's about, For the Pac-12, it would be about expanding into Las Vegas and getting uh, the Pac-12 network into all these homes and getting them on the TVs and getting more people to watch. But if you add the UNLV football, it's like you're not adding that many viewers yeah. from Las Vegas because no one watches football and no one cares about college football. So that's like your your hurdle there is to make people care and get people invested in your football program like you should be in a Division One football team. There aren't that many Division One teams across the country. There's 351 Division One basketball teams. There's only what 130, 128. I think we're at football 131 teams. this last year. There's not a lot of like compared to basketball. There's not a lot of Division One football teams, and people in Las Vegas don't really care about theirs. So you've got to change that to make it more attractive to a, a network that's looking to expand their footprint into Las Vegas. I feel like that's probably the biggest thing because football drives everything, and UNLV is sort of behind. They're behind some other schools, maybe just because they're basketball first. One of the things Jess have talked about was the the timing of it, and I guess to me that's interesting because I think if the Pac-12 decided right now we're expanding. I don't think UNLV has a chance. Like, I don't think they're getting in if they did it right now. UNLV is, quote, unquote, not ready. But if the Pac-12 doesn't expand for, whatever, six years, and UNLV gets to play in the new football stadium for a few years, and, and the football program maybe does grow under Tony Sanchez, like, to me, UNLV getting into a power conference, like, UNLV can get better, but they don't control most of it. Like, a lot of it is just the timing of this, and when does the Pac-12 decide to expand? Because if they decide now... I think they're out. If they decide in five and six years, you know, they might have really, really strong case to get in. Um, so I, I think a lot of it's just out of their hands and just comes down to what these other conferences or when these other conferences decide to do things. So if UNLV's, foot, if UNLV's Power 5 chances, um, if you're going to give Tony Sanchez six more years to build UNLV football, you think he's got it? Like, that's... Are we, like, are we saying that's what it hinges on? Like, how... Like how fast can Tony Sanchez get the football program? Like I don't think that's what it hinges on. Respectable level. I don't think that's what it hinges on because I do think the academics is probably a bigger deal. Is that these other schools when they actually add a a team, it's the presidents that are deciding it, and it's like, yeah, we don't want some crappy academic institution. Like it was a big deal when the Big Ten added Nebraska. It was like Nebraska's academics are nowhere close to the rest of the Big Ten, and it was a big deal that they were. You know, going outside of the norm and adding that, and that's that, because Nebraska's got a football program. That's that, yeah, that was history. something that Jessup uh, hit on a, a bunch of times. Was that like it's the presidents of the universities who make the call, and they're not going to want like uh, a dental who, school who, that yeah. puts reuses <laughs> something a hundred times. I love that. I love that story. Yes, it's but no, I was gonna go like I don't. Uh, who do we want to pick on from the the Mountain West, like Boise State? That's uh, academically, that's like not a good school like a a pac-12 school is like pac-12 is not going to add like they'd be out of place completely they'd be the worst academic school in the pac-12 or the pac-14 um you don't want that like that makes you um not attractive that makes you unattractive to these conferences that are looking to expand um because it's the presidents who make the call and they don't want to devalue their affiliate their conference affiliation by bringing in these 
um, you know, the, this the the dregs of college uh, athletic academics to uh, so it's like UNLV is not. I don't think they've got a good re- like academic reputation across the country. I don't think they've got a bad reputation. I don't think they really have an academic reputation. I think that's what they're trying to change with yeah. their their medical school and um, they're really pushing the diversity of their campus. I think they were um, ranked near the top uh, nationally. There was one or two in campus diversity. Yeah, so like that's what they're they're pushing. Like we've got a diverse campus. We've got the the new medical school. Um, so it's like the academics almost have to lead your argument. It's like academic in terms of expansion. It's like how attractive can you be academically in terms of what you can offer as a university and your reputation. And when it comes to athletics, it's will you be able to hit the ground running as a power five school with your facilities and media markets and the viewers that you're adding and stuff like that. Five years from now, do you know be in a power conference? No. I don't think so either. No. I think that their best bet is still that basketball super conference. Basketball super conference of the West. Keep courting Gonzaga, like Gonzaga recommitted to the um, WCC, but you keep their number in your phone. You don't, <laughs> you don't delete the number. You wait a few months and you text and it's like, hey, you know, you wait until their birthday or something. It's like, happy birthday. And you start a group H- chat. How are things? Start a group chat with like Gonzaga and St. Mary's and BYU and San Diego State. And who else we throw in there? New Mexico. We throw in them in there as well. Oh, I was talking about when they um, they were floating that idea. Yeah, of yeah. Adding... I, I know. I know. Okay. You, yeah, I'm yeah. saying you do a group chat though with all those ones and you keep talking shit about San Jose State and how you got to go keep playing them. And Gonzaga's like, San Jose State, I wish we could play them. <laughs> we get yeah. 16 Portlands on the schedule this year. Yeah. That non conference schedule you're bitching about, that's just our schedule the whole year. Yeah, and then you you sort of work them, and maybe next off season or the season after or two seasons from now they get tired of it, and then you you can add Gonzaga and St. Mary's and BYU and Grand Canyon or Grand Canyon. That's the one I want. Yeah, and you can add like four good basketball schools, and you can kick out a couple of bad basketball schools, and then you can have like a basketball conference. There we go. I think that's probably their their the most uh, like like that's a an attainable stuff. That's something that's attainable that you can actually do. And. People might actually be interested in watching it. That's more realistic than Tony Sanchez and the football team filling up that <laughs> Raiders stadium like two years from now. That's not going to happen. Like the UNLV could go ten and two this year, and they're not filling up. They're not going to get more than like thirty thousand people in that stadium when it opens. Like it's just not going to happen. All right, you want to talk about my haters at the Mountain West? Yes, this is where you uh, do a victory lap and dance on the graves of your enemies. I mean, it's not really graves, but. It's great. I have outlasted the haters. If you're unaware, the Mountain West doesn't like me. Or maybe I can say that in the past tense because the two people that I confirmed knowing that they did not like me, there might be more, but the two people that I know that did not like me are both gone. Name them by name. Javon Headland, he left a while ago, like a year, year and a half ago, and got completely out of sports. I don't know what he's doing. Um, But the most recent one was Katie Cavender. And I don't really know what her job title was, but the fun story on Katie Cavender is a while ago when I was doing play-by-play for UNLV. I love media gossip. It's so great. I was doing play-by-play for UNLV. So I was the the situation. UNLV paid me to do play-by-play. And that play-by-play. Like a bunch of different sports, right? Yeah, I did soccer, volleyball, baseball, women's basketball, all the small sports. That play-by-play 
was online on the Mountain West Network. So the Mountain West viewed me as an employee, even though they did not pay me, even though never talked to anybody ever at the Mountain West. We should have a say in in your yes. production and your content and yes. what comes out of your mouth. Is it where I get the feeling this is going? Yes, it is. Um, that was their general dislike of me is because they viewed me as an employee, even though I'd never talked to them. And they were like, they tried to get me suspended one time because of what, something I tweeted. Yeah. But Katie Cavender. So there was one point where UNLV was going to have a basketball game on Twitter. And I quote tweeted it and said, why doesn't the Mountain West ever do anything creative? Heavy sarcasm, putting a game on Twitter is very creative, right? And it was sort of a jab at all of the fans of UNLV and whoever else that try to take dumps on the Mountain West and say, this is a terrible conference. They never do anything because they were doing something new and innovative at the time. It was like, yeah, let's put our game on Twitter. People are on Twitter. Let's put it on Twitter. Katie Cavender. She doesn't get sarcasm? Apparently not, because later on tweeted. Starts with an emoji, so you know it's good. Hot take. If you're an undergrad trying to make it in sports biz, it's wise not to mark, mock, uh, mock the organization you're an assistant of via Twitter. She called Hashtag you. Just she, she called you an undergrad. So yeah. One, she's uninformed about your situation and who your your employment status. I had no idea that this was about me until somebody told me that it was about me, which made it great. But yes, the undergrad part is maybe the best part. Because no way Tyler is Tyler is not a student. Tyler is a graduate a graduate of university who is like an employee out in the real world. Yes, and I also I don't know if this was meant that way, but she called me an assistant, which I took as a slight because like no, I'm I'm like I don't get paid much, but I'm a hired gun. Damn it, I'm not an assistant out here. I'm a hired gun. That's her trying to like she. So when she sent that tweet, she thinks that you're like a student and like student announcer like broadcasting student yes. who's doing the game who she just completely has under her thumb and she's thinking yes. I can ruin this kid any any time I want to yes and then she tried to do it which is kind of a a mean thing to do yeah absolutely um so yeah so she's gone to do something with the college football playoff and social media or something I don't know her job seemed to be about social media um, anytime you get someone who doesn't understand the tweet and the fact that Twitter is used for jokes, anytime, yes. you, anytime you can well, hire them to run your social media it's good. for the it's good. college so football So if players, you want to tweet at the college football playoff with heavy sarcasm, they probably won't understand it from here going forward. Um, the Javon Headland one, that one's fun um, because I, I think I've told this before, but he, the Mountain West two years ago refused to give me credentials to the Mountain West tournament. And when I asked them why, they were like, it's because you post... Uh, videos of our sporting events on Twitter. And then what did you do? I had like a 20 email conversation with Javon Hedlund just yelling at him basically as to like, this is a this is a bunch of crap. Like, you know it's a bunch of crap. And then did, did I one, snitched. Did one of those emails include snitching? Snitching was, snitching happened. Because what happened was he kept telling me like, this is, un, and I'm like, and, and it is, listen. He said, this is zero tolerance. Yes. And listen, it is against the rules. Like as a media member, it they can come revoke my credential because I post during a live game a video of the game. That's against the rules. I understand, but I'm the guy going 70 in a 65 that gets pulled over while three people are going 74 past us, and I'm complaining about that. But what I did was I sent him an email with links to tweets from about 10 different media members across the Mountain West that had done the same exact thing as me. You were was included one of in those. This. Was I one of those? You were one of these people. On. And sent him this and said, okay, 
why is everybody else on this list also credentialed for the Mountain West Tournament, but I am not? And his response to me was, those people will be receiving cease and desist letters from the television networks. Oh, yeah. I remember getting a cease and desist from <laughs> CBS Sports Network telling me to not tweet out highlights of uh, Jalen Poyser spinning and scoring <laughs> back in that season. Um, no, I didn't really get one. And of then I went ahead and, and reached out to you and... Jeff Grammer, who covers New Mexico, and Brandon Foster, who covers Wyoming, and a few other people. And the ones that responded to me were like, yeah, we, we haven't gotten a cease and desist letter. Nobody's even said anything to us about it. So it was very much that they did not like that I would occasionally say, hey, the Mountain West sucks on Twitter. And so they tried to take my credential away. And they did for a tournament. I got to throw this past That's, year. I mean, it's, um, it's very it's petty. It's yep. it's like something that should be above the Mountain West, but the Mountain West is not like an it's not like a monolithic institution. It's like it's a collection of people who are running it, and the people who were running it, from that sense, were never. I try to deal with them as little as possible. Like you say, Katie Cavender, I've never dealt with her once. Um, you say Javon Headland, the only time I ever dealt with him was for the Mountain West credentials for their tournament, and it was always a problem with them <laughs> when you go to pick them up. So I get the sense that he also was not great at his job but i had no like issue with him because i just don't deal with it like if they would send me emails or whatever i just delete or ignore like mm -hmm. i'm not gonna try like i don't want to talk to the mountain west for anything unless i'm like working on a story yeah so because like, be I, I, I get the sense that they're not competent to handle stuff like that it might be better now they've got the people that don't hate me now there they're um one of their like media liaisons is um a former unlv guy who was in their department uh daryl siebel and he's pretty good yes I like Daryl. Maybe that's why I got credentialed, because I think Daryl likes me. He's pretty... Oh, that reminds me. He sent me an email that I forgot to respond to. No credentials for you this year. Ugh. You're out of here. Yeah. All right. It's best to not deal with, like, the Mountain West. Yeah, 100%. Try, try not to deal with them as, like... Try to deal 100%. with them as little as possible. Once a year when the Mountain West tournament comes to Las Vegas. Um, if UNLV ever accidentally found themselves in the Mountain West title game, you'd have to do it then, too, for football. But Did they ever send you, like, notes about, like, your on-air... Like coverage or no like no and don't. that's the thing that really annoyed me at the time is they tried to they they tried to suspend me from doing play by play well, actually they tried to get me fired and it ended up being a two game suspension but I because, was already because taking of those something days controversial off. that you said on the towel boys no it was a tweet that said is the Mountain West always this dumb when they scheduled UNLV in Nevada for the first football game of the conference season um, oh that's right they tried to get me fired for that they went and told UNLV you need to fire this kid and UNLV was like no we're not firing him. Um, I ended up getting a two-game suspension, but I was already going on vacation that weekend anyway, so it didn't actually wasn't a real suspension. Um, but my problem was they tried to act like I was an employee that they could fire by trying to fire me and telling me what I could and could not say. But they did not pay me, and on top of that, they never talked to me. Like there was never like, "Hey, thanks for doing this. Welcome to this." Blah blah blah. Like nothing at all. Did Even you, when they tried to. Um censure you did you get like some communication because no because i'm thinking it when... was all through unlv it was all funneled through unlv and even i i even sent an email to like the commissioner and cc'd some other people and like apologized for saying the mountain west is stupid and was like you know and but part of my email was like in the future you know i'm doing this for the mountain west network it'd be nice if we could communicate about what you guys nothing no response to that email at all yeah it's not a it, it, at that time it was not a well-run organization but like remember when jordan johnson like said something about the officials yeah. in the mountain west 
I think it was a Mountain West game, and he's like, well, UNLV is UNLV. We're not going to get calls. Yeah. We expect that. Or something like that, which was kind of – he was asked a direct question, like, hey, what did you think about the officiating tonight? And that sort of always sets you up, if you're a player or a coach, that sets you up to rip the officials, like to, to comment negatively. And I thought he kind of sidestepped it a little bit. He, did, he didn't um, – no comment. It. He actually said, like, well, we're UNLV. We don't expect to get calls. We know they're going to call it against us or something like that. And he got, like, reprimanded by yeah. the Mountain West, which Public I assume recommend. means a, like, a letter or at least let him know that he's being reprimanded. Whereas you, on your case, in your instance, they didn't reach out to you at all to nope. say, like, hey, you're suspended or, hey, don't say this or don't do that. They just sort of went back-channeled it yes. unofficially yes. in the shadows to try to take punitive action against you, which is kind of... Shouldn't that be beneath, if you're the Mountain West, shouldn't that be beneath the Mountain West? Yeah. Like, ugh. But it's not. All right, you ready to do movie and food? Yes. Do you want to know your food now, or do you want to surprise for the very end? Uh, We can save it for the very end. Save it for the very end. Okay. I'm going to need some water, too, because I'm out of water. I'm, you're out of water? Yeah, I need or something to drink to go along okay. with this food. It's it's sort of watery it's not dry okay well whatever let's let's we'll okay. get it over as quickly the as movie possible. is the searchers a classic western a classic of the western genre do you want to uh oh am i supposed to do brief synopsis well yeah well summary yeah should we do we have to summarize the whole bit every time that we do it no every no, week no? no if you're listening to this well you're good. okay well spoiler alert it's uh Ty- tyler you watch the movie for the first time you can tell us what the movie was about john wayne Somewhere in Texas, like three years after the Civil War. Do you know John Wayne? I know the name, yeah. But have you ever seen him. him like in a movie or anything? Probably at some point. I don't know. I'm sure my dad watched a John Wayne movie and I saw parts of it or watched it or okay, something. Okay, so like you're going that. into this like completely. Yeah. Like they put oh, John Ford directed by really big on the screen. Is I was like, gi- is that guy important? He's a giant. Know. Okay. John Ford John and John Ford Wayne. John Ford and John Wayne. All right. Apparently it's a big deal. Um, okay, so, yeah, they're in Texas. After the Civil War, John Wayne is Ethan. He hates Indians. He's been gone for a long time. He doesn't recognize his nieces and nephews. Then all of a sudden, the cows have been stolen. And so John Wayne and the Texas Rangers, like six of them, go out to find these stolen cows. They find one murdered, and John Wayne's like, it's a trap. They're going back to murder our families. Goes back, his brother and his wife and their house has been burned to the ground. They've been killed, uh, and their daughters have been stolen. So then he spends, what is it? Is it like 10 years? Like, I think what's it's, like f- it's at least five. I think it's like six There's or one seven. reference to five years sort of in the middle of the movie. So. And then it's a little while after that. Yeah. So I'm going to say like six years, okay. seven years. He's out looking for this Indian tribe that stole uh, his nieces. One of them actually gets killed halfway through. Um, so he's looking for his niece for more than five years. And he's got Martin with him, and Martin is a one-eighth Cherokee who he saved but hates for some reason. Oh, yeah, because he's racist. That's why. And let's see how to summarize the end of this. They find the tribe and find the niece, and they end up killing the chief of the tribe and getting the niece back, and it's happily ever after. Unless you're the Indian tribe. But is it? Is it happily ever after? Well, for everybody but him, I guess. Right? I, yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> you have to start with that character. Okay. Am I supposed to, like, like him at all or ever feel connected to him? Because he's just an asshole. Well, that's the thing. It's um, 
1956 when the movie comes out, by the way. Let's start there. Okay. It's uh, It looks good for a 1956 so, Hell movie. yes. The movie comes out, and like, I'm going to guess 10 or 15 years later, your father is born. <laughs> he lives a full life and has you, and then you live pretty much a full life into adulthood, and now you watch this movie. And it's not that it's not like entirely dated, like no. for being like shot in 1956. Um, no, it, it really isn't. Like the the only thing that I really picked out is like, oh, that looks stupid. Is like them shooting guns. Like when they shoot guns, it looks yeah. There's not like stupid. bullet holes and blood flying, and the guns like you can tell. There's no like and muzzle, just the way they there, shoot yeah, them no, is like, just yeah. There's no muzzle flash coming out. They're like obviously blanks yeah. and stuff. And it's it's like it's like stage guns that you. That's the only thing like that jumped out to me is like, oh yeah, this is an old movie. Um. So like it's for that for being of the time, like westerns at that point were a major like that's western like all day every day westerns are coming out and being produced because that's what people wanted to see. Um, but nineteen fifty six, and there were some westerns that were, you know, nuanced and um, you know the metaphorical and allegorical, and there were like. Deeper messages embedded in them, but most were this but guy's most the of hero. Them, He's yes, awesome. most of Everybody them are big, him. broad strokes, and it's like, here's this guy, and he wears the white hat, and he's the hero, and he's gonna come in and brawl, and he's gonna be tough, and he's gonna win the day and save the town and save the girl, and that's how it goes. And then in the middle of that comes this like, and John Wayne was the epitome of that. Like at that point in his career, he is, he's John Wayne. He plays John Wayne in his movies. He's just like that larger than life, all all charisma. He's the good guy. He comes in. He's got the drawl. He's got that way that he walks. He's got the big booming voice. He's just John Wayne, and that's Which, he, that's kind of what I was expecting. And you, like, and yeah, you so you come to expect that. At first, he started in war movies like World, he, like World War Two, World War One. He's a fighter pilot. He's a uh, marine commander. Like that's where you got to start. And then he started doing westerns, and he's the big cowboy. And that's what you think of when you think of America at that time. And then comes this movie where he plays not one of those guys. He's the protagonist, but he's not he's not a he's not wearing a white hat. He's he's got a mysterious past. You don't know the the war he's fought in the Civil War. It ended three years before the movie yeah. starts. And you don't know what he's been doing for those three years. But he comes in, he's got a lot of gold coins that are brand new. That yeah, the brother, not, his we're brother not supposed questions. to know why they're freshly minted coins, right? Like that's just yeah, you, to play just, into that. You don't know background. where they came okay. from. You don't know they're ill-gotten is what you're supposed to believe. The Texas Ranger says, "Well, you fit a lot of descriptions." When um, John Wayne refuses to take the the Ranger's oath to, to be deputized and go out on this uh, this search party, and he says, uh, "Have you acute, are you wanted for a crime?" And you fit a lot of descriptions. So he's got this mysterious past. He just sort of comes, rides in from you know the outside of you know the wilderness he's been gone for so long and so he's he's got that he's got um he's racist like just to the core he hates native americans or indians in this movie we can call them Comanche. he hates them with every fiber of of his being even his you know the uh, the baby that he saved you know years ago that is now one-eighth comanche and then now lives with his brother cherokee yeah um, he wouldn't know anything about Comanche because he's one eighth. That's right. Yeah, um, my mistake. And he hates him just for being one eighth. And that's a kid that he saved as a baby. He hates that guy for whatever six or seven years, even though he is the it's, only one that's been with him for two five years, and he's the only one that survived and stayed with him the entire and, time. And they're not just uh, they're not just together. They're 
on the road, like sleeping yes. under the open sky, sleep, like camping. You're on a camping trip with someone for five or six years through all kinds of like elements and um, adventures, and he still hates him. And so he's got that. He's got there's some kind of relationship hinted at between him and his brother's wife that is just like they don't say anything about it, but you can just tell that, you know, they're in love with each other or there's something there. Um, so he's all kinds of like ambiguous morally. He's racist. He's violent. Um, and then I think that, and like I said, not all Westerns at that point were like complete stick figure characters. Like there was some nuance, but this was like something like you hadn't seen before. And then, but you think, I think you, as the movie goes along, you think there's going to be some redeeming point or the, Hey, there's going to be the point where him and the, the friend, him and uh, Martin, like where they find common ground or they like one of them, something happens to bond them and they're bonded or, you know, the, the, the search bonds them or something like that. And it doesn't happen. The only thing that happens during that search is I think is a pretty big reveal is when Martin tells, um, is Will? Lo, no, when Martin tells Laurie oh. why he's still searching for the, for the, the girls, even five years later, she's, you know, she's, why are you still searching? And he says, you know, um, he says, Ethan is searching for them. And I have to be there yeah. because he's going to kill her when he finds her. And that's when you sort of realize, like, he's not searching to bring them home. Enough time has passed with for the girls, and they're young enough. Um, they've been with the Indians long enough. He knows that they've forgotten their past and that they're, you know, Indian women now. And he's just going to kill them. He's going to find this the one daughter that's left, and he's going to kill her. And so that's why Martin stays on to, like, to protect her when he finally gets found. And he knows that John Wayne's not going to stop, like, looking for her. So he's sort of shackled to him. He's got to stay as long as it takes to protect her when the time comes. I enjoyed the the mental math he had to do when they first saw Debbie and like the the full on realization of like, oh, she is an Indian wife of Chief Scar now, of of Ethan to then in the middle of a cave while they're hiding from the Indians, change his will because he does the mental math of, well, this one-eighth Indian guy is not as bad as this girl who's been living with the Indians for 10 years or whatever it is. Yeah, he uh, he never really he never really comes around on the on that stuff. Um, is so, I mean... Well, okay, all right, let me ask you this. What, what makes him go from, I'm going to murder this girl because she's an Indian to cradling her in her arms and saying let's go home because like there wasn't something that happened well it's there was i didn't pick it up either but reading about it i went back and watched it on a second viewing um when i watched it the other day and i noticed it is that um one she changes her mind like at first when she comes to chase them down um when they find her the first time and then they go camp outside the the indians yeah, uh, she tells them to her, leave in a great shot where she's running down the th- the the hillside and um they don't see her at first, and then she comes up and she says, "Like I want to stay with the with the Indians." And uh, at some point, she changes her mind when Martin comes back for her again, and she says, "Like she wants to go home now." So that, even though, but Martin doesn't get a chance to tell that to John Wayne. Yeah. John Wayne doesn't know that. Um, but that's one thing that happens. And the second thing is, he picks her up after John Wayne chases her down at the end. At the beginning of the movie, he walks into the house. And he picks her up, he lifts her up like that above his head. And he says, oh, are you Lucy? And she says, no, Lucy, I'm Debbie. And he says, wow, you've gotten big. And then he picks her up in the same way at the end. And you're like, not sure, like, what's going to happen here? And he pauses. And then he pulls her down and he says, let's go home. So I think, like, that's supposed to be, like, he sees it, even though the, they haven't told him, like, that she wants to go home. 
he can tell just by picking her, her up. Eyes. He can see it in her eyes. Like she wants to go home and he can't go through with it at the end. And that's like sort of supposed to be his like, it's not even really an epiphany because it's not like he learned to accept her. And it's not like he's empathizing with her. You've been with these Indians for so long. It's not your fault. You were eight when you were taken. Um, I don't think he's really empathized with that. It's just that he sees that like she's ready no, to come back. The funny thing is, is that he's so racist, but he ends up doing all of the things that I guess he hates the Indians for. I mean, he shoots out the dead Indian's eyes, something he doesn't even believe in, but shoots out his eyes because the Indian believes in his afterlife. If he doesn't have eyes, he can't get to where he needs to go in the afterlife. He scalps Scar at the end of the movie, which is something that he's doing that just because Scar scalped whoever. And then the other thing was he... Uh, tried to kill as many buffalo as possible so they wouldn't feed Comanche bellies this winter or something yeah. like that. Like, he does everything that he would hate the Indians for doing. Well, it's and if you look at him and Scar juxtaposed, they're pretty much, like, they're set up to be complete mirrors of each other. Like, Scar, um, John Wayne is searching after his nieces because his family was slaughtered by these Comanches. And what, when you, he meets Scar face-to-face, Scar tells him, like, the white men killed my sons. So now for every son they took, I take a, a white wife. So it's like his family was killed by the white man. So that's why he hates the white man. Um, so the, the motivation behind they both they're both motivated by like that revenge and just that like hatred against the the other. Like, like they both hate that other. The general motivation behind the Indians and Scar killing John Wayne's family and taking the nieces is just simply random. That guy got his sons killed. Now he's just randomly doing this. Like yeah, there, well, there was no. Well, historically, I I believe now I'm not I'm not a historian on like the 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 West or anything, but I believe that the Comanches were just a war a war tribe. But it wasn't. They attacked other like Native American tribes, like they you know they um like you said was it the the, the Cherokees yeah. where they that's where Martin comes from. They you know, it was a, a raid on Cherokee, so they were just like a war tribe that was. But it wasn't that attack on that house wasn't associated to John Wayne's character. That was no. That was to okay. steal the white. Because when, when it to, first happened, steal, that my was to thought was the women. they're doing it because Ethan came back or something. something no, no, like that was just okay. to. I think they they just knew that there was a ranch there and they were going to kill the family and take the women. Okay. So I mean that's, um, but his motive, like their motivations are like equal. One of them is the hunter and one of the hunted, but they're both motivated by that revenge against the other race. And um, so it's like they see, you're supposed to see, like they don't, John Wayne can't see it, but there's a lot of scar in him and, and vice versa. What was the significance of the crazy lady grabbing the doll? That is just show, like, that is supposed to be the moment that, for like I, my own interpretation, that's when it solidifies that John Wayne, like he sees these women who have been abducted by Indians and it's messed them up so badly that they can never come back. They can never reassimilate into like white society, quote unquote, civilized society. And that it only cements in his mind. Like he's not going to take, when he finds Debbie, he's not going to take her back. He's going to kill her to, you know, put about her misery and to, um, you know, hurt the, the Comanches. So let's like, he sees what these women have, women have become. He's like, if I find Debbie, I'm going to kill her. I thought it was 
Like, I thought it was going to be, oh, she grabbed that doll because she recognized it or something like that. Or like, oh, she's going to be the key to finding Debbie or something like that. No, but the, I thought it was, uh, I did think it was, it stuck with me for a minute. I was like, well, if you brought that doll as like the identifier, you just left it with, the just left it with this lady, woman. Yeah. So what do you, what if you find, the, what happens when you find the real Debbie? You don't have the doll to show her anymore. So that like made me think, I was like, that's kind of a, a plot hole. But. Um, oh, what did the Reverend. I'm I'm supposed to think at the very end when the reverend has the wound as in his ass and he's getting it treated that the, got the kid got the sword. He, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's what I assume. But it, they do know, a lot of. They didn't spill it out for me. Yeah, so they do. Sure. This movie is very big on. They don't really um, say a lot, but they sort yeah. of you're supposed to understand like what happened. Like the like Ethan and uh, Martha at the beginning. You're, they don't say it, but you're supposed to understand that there's some unspoken love there, and like stuff like that with the the saber and. All that stuff. The other, uh, but yeah, that's so the complexity of like that character is what makes the searchers like stand out. Even though that there's still like it's a good movie, it's a great movie. The parts that don't work for me are like anything that has to do with like comedy or they're, like, they're trying to. So you didn't like the uh, the fight scene between Charlie and no, and it's like that whole thing of. Or like Mose. you can you, you can didn't like Moe's at all. You can so he's all right when he's doing like dramatic stuff, but like when he's doing like sidekick, like he, when he's doing like comedic relief, it's not that good. But it's good as a window into that era, and you can see what other westerns were at that time, where it's like you had stock characters like that in all westerns, and it's like they were big, broad movies, and there was like they do like the dancing at the wedding and like the square. Like that's not a that's not about the searchers. Like if the searchers could do without that, because it's like a good like modern like almost movie. Um, but at the time, people like the movie going audience expected, you know, hey, let's Western square dance and let's do the punching. You know, the the two quarters are you know fist fighting in the streets and let's do the the wacky old man sidekick and you just expected that kind of like slapstick and stuff where it really has no place in the searchers. Like it would be a better movie without it, but it does give you a sense of like what other movies were like at the time. Cause they still kind of had to staple it onto the, onto this movie. The contrast of lighting in the movie is very good. Like the opening and ending scenes, both being the, the dark house with the doorway, seeing out John Wayne in the middle of nowhere, Texas or wherever the hell they are. Yeah. It's probably it's one of the good. it's probably one of the most famous like shots in cinema is him like walking away at the end with like the music playing and it's like you like do you, what's your interpretation of that scene is that a happy ending uh, for everybody that's inside the house like it's a happy ending for everybody but him like every like Martin's got Lori and. I guess Debbie is with her grandparents that she hasn't been with. I don't know if that's happy, but like everybody else, it's like, okay, they got what they wanted and he's just lonely walking away from it. Like the, everything he's known for like the last, whatever it is, 10 years is there and he's just wandering away. It's, he is, that character comes out of the wilderness. Like for, he's been the wandering for, you know, years after the war before he comes home. And we are to understand that he's done some bad things. And then we see, you know, while he's on the search, those five years, he does more bad things. Like he's a person who is just consumed by hatred and revenge, and he'll shoot the eyes out of a corpse so that the soul can't get into heaven, and he'll scalp, you know, Scar's corpse just to prove a point. And he's motivated by trying to kill his niece for most of the movie. I feel like just after that, like the, what they're showing in that last scene is, it's like, yeah, he's the hero. Because he like he he saved the day and he won in the end and he's the hero, but he 
everyone comes back to, oh, it's over, the journey's over. Now let's start, you know, we're back in civilized society. Like we're back in a family, in a house, and it's civilized, and these two are going to get married, and there's a parent and daughter relationship now, and it's all, it's civilized. And John Wayne, Ethan, uh, Ethan Edwards, just has, he has no place in a civilized society at that point um, just because of like his, the life that he's, li- that he's chosen to live. He has no place. He, he knows it. He knows he can't go in the house because it's not his place anymore. And his place is to wander back out into the desert and go wherever it takes him. And that's like the last scene. It's kind of bittersweet. But it's a great shot. But I don't like him, so it's not that bittersweet. It's fine. He's not, yeah, I, I, mean, I, he's don't, not, I don't feel connected to the character at all. He's not likable. But you are drawn to him just because of John Wayne and his like, John charisma, Wayne. and he's actually acting in this movie. And I thought he does a really like an excellent job. Like I thought he's really good in the movie. Why are all of his characters not named John Wayne? Like why do we have to pretend to call him Ethan? It's that's this would be ba- better in retrospect. Yeah, this it's basically be what he is. Like in most movies, he is just playing John Wayne. I would say this is one of the exceptions. He's not playing John Wayne in this movie, right. even though you, he still has that charisma where like you just like have to watch him in this, the way that he walks, and he's got sort of that like. Like that hip side, you know, sashaying, and he's got the booming voice, and he's good. You ready for your food? Um, do you want to play a game first? Sure. It's not a very fun game. Is anybody sitting out there waiting for the studio? No. Okay. All not right. that I can see. All right, let's play a game. Because I try to want to. What? Wait. What's the food? You want to know? Yeah, I want to know the food. All right. I went back to the fruit well. It's an orange. Okay. I've had oh. oranges, oh, but I—I right. I mean, an actual orange is it peeled. Yeah, you know, you're gonna have to peel it. You got to peel and eat okay. the orange. I can peel it with my hands, but I haven't had one in like, I've had orange juice probably a few years ago, but I haven't had an orange in like. This is not as good. Like college, probably. I probably had one in college, like that I took from what like were you the. You doing in college eating an orange? Probably took it from the uh, cafeteria, and ate it at some point. Why? Um, because on your when I was on my meal plan. Anything that I could take from the cafeteria was at a premium. But if I, but if you saw, if you had a free chance to get a free orange now, you wouldn't take it, would you? No. Yeah. But I had no money back then, okay. and I needed to eat. Okay. And it was like, so yeah, I could go to the cafeteria and make a peanut butter sandwich, but um, or like I could get a hot dog like from the thing, but they wouldn't let you take food out of there. Mm. So it's like if I could steal like a loaf of bread in my backpack and like a jar of peanut have, butter, yeah. I, I did. I did many oh, times. Oh, okay. And if I could take like oranges or apples or bananas or whatever, then I would. So it's uh, like, yeah, I could anything that I could get out of there, I took. And an orange was one of those. Okay. All right. What's the game? The game is on the, uh, look, the, the American Film Institute, top 100 movies of all time. And The Searchers is ranked on that list. It's a very well-regarded movie by, like, historians and filmmakers and stuff, and it's viewed, it gets better, like, in retrospect. People think more highly of it as time goes so on. So when it came out, people were like, oh, what's this crap? Yeah, it was like a Western, but it wasn't like, <laughs> they didn't see it as, like, some, like, you know. Yeah, as, groundbreaking movie. As often happens at the time. Like, it's not sort of recognized in its own time, but uh, um, but it's highly thought of now. So I've got a bunch of other movies. I want you to tell me which one is ranked higher the Searchers or these other movies. Okay. And if you get it, I've got a bunch of them written down here. Some of them are movies that we've seen already on this okay. thing. And if you get enough of them correct, I will eat this orange. All right. Hold on. This is top 100? Yeah. Okay. I've got a strategy. All right. I'm ready to play. Oh, I can't tell you the, the numbers where they're ranked yet. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Okay. But I've got a strategy. I'm, I'm ready. Okay. Which is ranked higher by AFI? The Searchers or Star Wars? The Searchers. 
Correct. Which is ranked higher, The Searchers or The Godfather? The Searchers. Incorrect. Oh, that orange is going away. Okay. Um, it's an organic orange. The Searchers or a movie that we've seen, Chinatown. You've got, a, you've got a frame of reference. Which Searchers. movie do you think is better? Searchers. You think The Searchers is better than Chinatown? Yeah. You think that AFI believes that as well? Yeah. Final answer. Yeah. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. The Searchers or The Sound of Music? Searchers. That's correct. Yeah. All right. The Searchers or The Wizard of Oz? Searchers. Another movie in color. The first color movie, I think, a wide release. Searchers. Wizard of Oz, very important film. Searchers. Incorrect. Wizard of Oz ranked higher. So Wizard of Oz, and what was the other one higher than it? Uh, Godfather. Godfather. The Wizard of Oz or... I mean, The Searchers or Jaws? Searchers. Correct. The Searchers or Schindler's List? I know nothing about that movie. I haven't seen it either. But I've heard it about, heard about it a bunch. I'll say Searchers. Incorrect. Still winning by one, though. <sighs> okay, here we go. Last one. Uh, I shouldn't have saved this one for last because I don't think you're going to know it. The Searchers or The Deer Hunter? Never heard of it, so The Searchers. That is correct. There we go. Oh, fuck. Like that strategy, just to say yeah. Searchers. Where are the Searchers right on that list? made me swear on the air. Um, top 10? The Searchers is number 12 okay. on their top 100. My my strategy was I'm thinking The Searchers is a top 10 movie on this list, so I'm just going to say The Searchers every time because there's not going to be that many above it. Uh, that's... 12 was a little risky, but but we got out of there alive. Yeah. Uh, Wizard of Oz, number 10. Schindler's List number eight, Godfather, well, Godfather number two. What's number one? Guess. I don't know any movies. You don't have to know. You don't have to know movies to make a guess at number one. It's Citizen Kane. I never would have guessed that movie in a hundred years. Have you ever heard of it? Like once before. Never, never enough for me to actually reference it. Uh, the orange doesn't make enough sound when you peel it. That's a that's a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, that kind of came through. Yeah, we're getting a little bit of sound levels there. I got you enough napkins over there, hopefully. Peel this orange. Yeah. Is that a one? Is that a press release you could just rip up that you carry around with you? It's a, that's me peeling an orange. Oh, it's it? organic, too. Yeah, I just this said is that. Expensive. Where were you? Nah, it was less than a dollar. I have your food lined up for next week, too. What is it? Because I went ahead and planned, and I was like, I, every Sunday, I'm like, crap, I gotta go buy something for Mike to eat. What is it? I'm not gonna tell you. You're not gonna like it though, but I know that next week's one is good. Fruit, I just get another fruit because I'm doing pretty good on these so far. Yeah, you told me last week you don't like raspberries. I'll eat the rest of that orange, by the way. After I touched it like that, yeah, I just molested it by peeling it by hand. What did you do with your hands today? I woke up and I came to the yeah, studio. I'll eat the orange. Okay. Uh, what are you doing? Getting the. It's fine. After peel it's off. All el- it's I don't know all what it's edible. called. But I was okay. going to call it eligible. Here we go. Mike Romali eats an orange not slice after sound peeling like it. Oh, it's so bitter, isn't it? Oh, it's so it's more citrusy than I remember. Yeah, you got to finish that, though. You only took half of that slice there. You got to eat the whole slice. It's pretty good, though. Bring you a whole orange. Nah, you should just put that whole half in your mouth. What are you doing over there? Making too many bites for yourself. Gotta do it all at once. We've gone downhill since sweating with the ranch. You've liked this too much. Yeah. 
Condiments are my weakness. I hate condiments. Yeah. I'll never use them. I'll never use them. If you bring in like mayonnaise, I'll throw up. If you bring in like barbecue sauce, I can't do it. Bring in like a Tabasco sauce or something. Mayonnaise is objectively like kind of gross though. Like I don't have a problem eating mayonnaise. It's eggs, right? But objectively like just mayonnaise is gross. I don't know what the hell's in it, but it's just gross. Yeah, I can't do that. It's this white creamy but not that creamy thing it's gross like mustard i won't eat it oh, mustard's good relish no relish is kind of gross the Ugh. person i know that eats relish is my dad same thing like my dad puts it on hot dogs <laughs> i don't i don't think i've ever seen anybody else eat relish besides my dad on a hot dog or a hamburger all right put down that orange now nice and easy i'm winning i think i'm winning the food challenge I- so far after what are we like five weeks into this <sighs> I mean, I had one Kinda overwhelming victory with the with the ranch and the carrots. The like, ranch was gross. Was, I could still taste that. That was an overwhelming victory, but you've been you've been better recently. Yeah. Don't worry. Next week is a good one. You're not gonna like next week. It's gonna be great. He's Mike Kramala. I'm Tyler. Do you want to do you want to pick a movie for Should next we week? Do that? Uh, we're gonna record one next week. That's up to you. I'll I'll be here. I'll be able to record. It's up to you. Let's pick one and then see if anything happens. Oh, no, I can't. i got to take my dog to the vet because he has an eye ulcer. That's no fun. Yeah, so. we don't want to hear about that on the air. Yeah, okay, so, so we'll right. pick it off the air. All right. We'll see ya.